0: You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Better Man Podcast. My name's Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, my new friend, Marine Colonel Matthew Brannon. He is bringing to us some stories about his work with the POW MIA Accounting Agency. Uh, many of you may be, like me, confused or didn't even know that this agency existed And we're going to fix that today. He's got some really spectacular stories about what this agency does, and it is really, really encouraging. So uh, I'm not going to read Matthew's resume because it would probably take up the whole episode. It is impressive. So I'll I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so you can learn more about Matthew and what he's done in the Marine Corps, the, um, the way he's been decorated, the places he's been deployed, the different things that he has done is quite impressive. So you all are going to enjoy getting to know him. So with all of that, enjoy my conversation with Marine Colonel Matthew Brandon. All right. Well, Matt, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So um, like with a lot of our guests that show up on the Better Man Podcast, sometimes the first times I meet them, are when we hit record. And so that's the case for you and I today. But I when uh, somebody that people hear us talk about a lot on the podcast is Aaron Rose, and uh, he serves as the producer of the podcast. So he sent me over some information just to get to know you a little bit before we hopped on this call. And I, I got excited because it said you worked for the POW MIA accounting agency. And, uh, my first thought was, yes, a fellow CPA is coming on to the Betterman podcast. <laughs> and then as I started to dig in, I was like, no, uh, he does something a lot more exciting than I did, uh, in my old CPA days. So that's probably a good place for us yeah. to start is what is this accounting agency you work for? Cause you guys have a really awesome mission and it may be, it's probably going to be news to a lot of our listeners, even knowing that this exists. So, uh, talk about what you do. Yeah, I will. I'll
1: start off by saying that uh, the opinions that I share today are my own. Uh, they don't represent right. the uh, Department of Defense, uh, the Defense POW, MIA Accounting Agency, or the United States Marine Corps, uh, which is the branch of service I serve in. So, but uh, yeah, uh, the Defense POW, MIA Accounting Agency, our mission is essentially to account for uh, missing service members uh, from uh, designated past conflicts. Uh, to keep mm-hmm. the promise uh, to the nation and to the families of those missing service members. Uh, so we uh, our mission set goes from World War II, uh, Korean War, Vietnam War. We have a few Cold War, about 126 Cold War cases that we research. And then from the uh, first Iraq War in the 90s, uh, we have uh, six missing service members from that. So that's sort of the the uh, conflicts that we cover Um, and what our uh, what our agency does is we have phd historians analysts researchers uh, linguists and uh, anthropologists archaeologists um, broken into uh, multiple disciplines Uh, the backbone of everything we do is uh, historical research and analysis um, we mm-hmm. built every missing service members has what's called an individual deceased personnel file and, uh, our, it contains battle loss information, uh, medical records, anything related to that service member and their loss. Our historians and our researchers comb through archival data, um, in libraries throughout the world, uh, national archives, um, archives in foreign countries. Uh, to try to develop a case to get it ready for uh, either um, an investigation um, mm-hmm. or a disinterment. So we do disinterments of unknown uh, graves at American Battle Monument cemeteries throughout the uh, world, throughout Europe and the Pacific. And uh, there's a, a, a cemetery here, the uh, Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, uh, n- nickname is the Punch Bowl here in Hawaii. Uh, so we have disinterments of unknowns uh, from there. Uh, if we send investigation teams out to uh, various places, to um, you know, the rice fields of Southeast Asia, to the battlefields of World War II and Europe, and uh, they kind of interview witnesses, look at the ground, and what we're trying to do ultimately is what we call correlate a site. So if we can correlate a site to a particular loss, uh, whether it's individuals or a group of individuals, uh, we will then do what we call a recovery team, which is a full-scale archaeological dig. Um, It's led by a scientific recovery expert, which is typically a forensic anthropologist uh, Mm. and teams of military members, uh, everything from EOD to medics uh, to uh, civilian uh, personnel, archaeologists and anthropologists. Um, they go out and do a f- sort of like an archaeological dig. They uh, spend anywhere from 45 to 60 days working on a site to try to recover what uh, we call possible osseous material we find in the field, which is a fancy word for bone. Um, yeah. uh, any kind of material evidence, say dog tags, ID cards, all of that is brought back to our laboratory. We have a laboratory in Offit, Nebraska, and we also have a laboratory in Hawaii. Um, so those those that evidence is brought back, and then the painstaking process of of um, analysis begins. Um, we have partners uh, with the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory in Dover, so we can we'll cut DNA samples and send send those to Dover for analysis. But we really look for uh, multiple lines of evidence to make an identification of a missing service member, uh, whether it's uh, dental records, the DNA. Um, the historical records, the evidence, we have a really cool, uh, chest radiograph program where they compare your clavicles and the vertebrae of the neck. So they'll do x-rays of the remains that we find, compare them to the, uh, x-rays we have on file from when world war II and Korean war, you would get a chest x-ray to test for tuberculosis. Um, okay. so they can match those up and it can help lead to, uh, excluding people or keeping people in. So ultimately we want to make an identification wow. that would survive a court of law. Uh, so really painstaking work, but, uh, yeah. really, I mean, the, 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 the agency is about keeping the promise to, uh, the nation and to the families of those fallen service members.
0: Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I'm sure this is a really long answer, but how do you get into this? Like, how did you personally, um, would 19 year old you be surprised that, that this is where your career has you right now?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, in the, in the military, you know, we, we, we rotate every, you know, two to three years. So, um, my, my experience in DNA, uh, in science, I have a history degree, uh, an undergrad okay. history degree. Um, but you know, my job, uh, is I'm the deputy director for operations for the agency. So my job is to kind of oversee the execution of the global mission. So the uh, teams that uh, do all the planning and execution of the missions um, or the disinterments um, and the laboratory, I kind of oversee that execution. Um, but yeah, the 19-year-old me would have never uh, imagined that uh, I'd be a part of, uh, of something like this. I mean, I've been in the Marine Corps uh, approaching 26 years now, and uh, this is um, certainly uh, the, the most noble uh, mission that I've been a part of uh, mm-hmm. that I can think of. I mean, I've had great, great experiences in command and, uh, I led a team of Marines, uh, in Iraq, uh, in 03 and 04. And those were rewarding, uh, in the sense of, you know, serving, you know, in those, those types of environments yeah. and taking care of people. This was just a little different, um, as far as yeah. what the, what the ultimate end state of this mission is. And it's the only job I've ever been a part of where our, our sole purpose in life is to work ourselves out of a job. You know, wow. to account for as many as we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So how many people that you meet just in your own personal life uh, have a reaction to what you're doing that's similar to mine? Like, I oh, I didn't even know that this agency existed. Am I in the minority or am I in the majority there? No,
1: I'd say that uh, you're probably in the majority. Um, we, you know, it is a high profile mission, um, especially with the family members A lot of the veteran service organizations that are uh, advocates for us are are knowledgeable of the mission. Um, you know, Congress obviously has an interest in what we do and making sure we're being, uh, good stewards of taxpayer dollars and being effective and efficient in what we do. Uh, but I think general public, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we do our best, you know, we, we are on Facebook, we're on uh, LinkedIn and, and you can follow us there. Uh, to see some of the great work uh, the men and women of uh, what we call DPAA uh, Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency do, so um, this is a great opportunity just to get the word out. I think about the mission yeah. to your audience and uh, and share it. So yeah, it's uh, just a great opportunity for us to to share what we do.
0: Yeah, well that's good, and and I love that you mentioned in the beginning. You know that you're on here uh, as a friend of the show. You're not necessarily representing. Um, you know, the Department of Defense and, and things right now with all this. but but faith is a part of your background. and I know that uh, you have been impacted by the better man definition and the way we talk about being a man and how faith and work uh, go hand in hand and as followers of Jesus. And so let's just talk about that for a second. Like how do you see God's hand moving in what you and the agency are doing?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, you know, when you think about, um, you know, the example of Jesus Christ and, you know, treating, you know, I think Christ calls us to, to love everyone unconditionally mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, you know, to reject the ways of the world wholeheartedly. Um, I think, you know, in society we tend to, um, accept the ways of the world unconditionally and reject people, um, but I think what this mission to me, uh, you know, my personal experience is, it really is uh, reuniting families with their missing service members. And when you see, a, uh, you go to a funeral and you see a family member uh, reunited to have that that uh, closure and they get answers that they've been waiting decades to get. Mm. Um, uh, it, it just shows a, a compassion for people mm. that, I think, uh, I think is very, you know, price-like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. So let's, um, let's get into some of the nitty gritty details of what you guys are doing. So like, uh, and again, I'm going to come to you just like completely naive with a lot of this stuff and just ask some (laughs) questions. So the, okay, let's just go like popular television and just what I know from reading the news technology, DNA sampling, gene, uh, all, all the, the advances in science that have been happening that make for interesting television and movies. Uh, but I also know is rooted in real life. Is that making your all's job a little bit easier right now? Like, so how has technology impacted what you all do?
1: Yeah. So I wish it was as, uh, as cool and easy as like NCIS where you see like the blue lights. And, uh, (laughs) if you go to our laboratory, uh, you know, it's a a open windows, very bright lights, um, you know, and we don't get, you know, at the end of the 30 minute episode, you don't have uh, DNA results.
0: That's um, right.
1: but yeah, the, the advances in technology, um, you know, everything from underwater recoveries, uh, using things like side scan sonar, uh, you know, drones, underwater drones, uh, were drones with like a laser radar capability or what's called a magnetometer, which kind of maps the earth. It kind of, is used, then mm-hmm. we lay that over the maps and that helps us kinda uh, hone in on where we wanna dig. It helps identify where potential unexploded ordnance are um, or if there's like heavy signatures of where a crash site may be, um, that, that may show up on those surveys. So it really um, is, a, is a game changer for us. And I'll say the our laboratory uh, in partnership with the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory um, has made some uh, great advances in DNA technology, which has been shared um, and, and things that law enforcement use and uh, other other organizations use were really uh, some of that was born out of the work that the laboratory, mm. uh, DPAA, and uh, predecessor organizations and, and AFDIL have, uh, have worked on developing. I mean, all of our uh, anthropologists and archaeologists are required to constantly do peer reviews, uh, write, you know, writings, uh, research, and come up with ideas. And I'll just give you a, a quick example: uh, the uh, remains that are buried as unknowns, in a lot of cases, they're treated with uh, formaldehyde powder. So, mm-hmm. um, what that does, and I'll try, you know, the 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 double helix DNA, right? The double helix strand of DNA. Um, what that does is it kind of misses. Completely non-scientific because I do not have yeah. this background, but this is how I how how it the, the Marine Corps uh, officer mind uh, uh, captures it. But basically, that powder will kind of take that double helix DNA and bind it up into like a really tight ball. So the normal sequencing that we would use, which is called Sanger sequencing, uh, you're unable to. We were at a five to six percent yield weight rate on getting results for DNA. Um, in partnership with our laboratory and the armed forces DNA identification laboratory, they developed uh, what's called next generation sequencing, which is a chemical treatment that sort of helps strand that DNA back out and fill in some of those, uh, blocks. So we went from a five to 6% success rate to a 50 to 60% success rate wow. on yielding DNA. So, um, you know sometimes our aftil partners you know we we come to them with uh, a really tough problems like we got to figure this out and yeah. uh, they really put work into it and they'll, they'll tell you uh they sometimes they have an easier time getting uh, uh dna from deanderthal dna than they do from some of the
0: remains that are uh, treated wow yeah that's fascinating. Yeah. What Talk about the relational side when you're working with some of these other countries, because this is, um, you know, fortunately, a lot of these theaters have not happened here in the United States. And mm-hmm. so ha- what like what challenge does that present to you all in doing your work?
1: Yeah. So uh, um, in some cases, like uh, in Southeast Asia, which is uh, like our longest uh, mission set um, post Vietnam War uh, the, an organization called the national league of families, which was first, uh, the first CEO was, uh, Mrs. Stockdale, which was Admiral Stockdale's wife, which if for okay. folks that don't know, he was a, a, a POW, uh, in Vietnam, the, uh, senior POW and kind of started the return with honor, uh, with the POWs. But, you know, she went to the Paris peace accords advocating for, Uh, the return of POWs and MIAs. So we've been operating in Vietnam for 35 years. Um, And I say, like, the humanitarian nature of our mission is really a carve out, Um, you know, when you talk about legacy of war issues and and some of the challenges with, you know, what used to be considered an enemy of the United States is now uh, partnering with us to help us uh, recover um, our own missing. And in fact, during COVID, when we could not deploy teams, uh, due to the long quarantine process and uh, just we kind of went on a stop for a couple of years. years. Oh, we had Vietnamese uh, teams uh, from it's called the Vietnam Office of Seeking Missing Persons that conducted unilateral missions on our behalf. And we've mm-hmm. actually made two identifications of uh, U.S. service members from their efforts um, wow. on our behalf. On the opposite side of that spectrum, you have places like North Korea. Um, we had historically done some recovery operations in North Korea um uh, and i think the last one has been uh, i think maybe 2005 if i remember correctly um, okay and our last communication with North Korea i think was 2019 where they actually responded but we have over 7000 missing service members from the Korean war and we mm-hmm. believe about 5000 of them are uh, in North Korea so obviously, the access there is huge. Um, they've done a yeah. few uh, unilateral turnovers over the years. Um, most recently, in 2018, they turned over 55 boxes of remains. And um, you know they told us we're getting 55 boxes with 55 individuals. Uh, those 55 boxes had over 500 bones in them and yielded over 250 unique DNA sequences. Wow. So we know there's 250 individuals in there. To date, we've identified 88 U.S. service members uh, from those boxes, and we've repatriated um, uh, South Korean soldiers back. We've uh, In the last two years, uh, we've repatriated, um, I think it's about 73 uh, South Koreans back uh, to South Korea um, from those unilateral turnovers from North Korea. Always happy uh, to um, get those unilateral turnovers. We would love for... Uh, to get access again to do missions there as a humanitarian carve out. And I'll say the leadership, um my leadership and uh the ambassadors uh and all the way up to the Secretary of Defense, you know, that you know, they know our mission and, and they they uh, advocate for us to try to get you know a carve out there. And we actually have a team, uh two two contractors who are working in Russia right now in the archives doing archival research for us as an exception mm. uh to policy. Um, under the current, you know, the current conditions with Ukraine. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, China is obviously another place where we have some challenges, but, um, you know, and, and like South Korea is a great partner of ours. Um, uh, they have an yeah. organization called, uh, the ministry of national defense agency for Kill in action, recovery, and identification. Uh, we call it Macri for short, and they are uh, just great partners of ours they have a lab modeled after our laboratory. And, hmm. uh, we work That's with really them. Cool continuously. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that was a really long answer, I think, but
0: (laughs) no, I love it. I love it. It's fascinating. Uh, it really is. Especially again, like I said, for, for those of us that didn't even know this existed, it's really, really cool to hear about this and bring so many of the different conflicts, uh, into a different perspective right now because of these efforts going back and forth. So talk about where the U S stands. I'm going to, I want to skip around on some of the questions here, but like, what, what do you think in your perspective is unique about, the way the United States approaches this? Because in the example you shared, South Korea has something similar where they're doing Mm -hmm. this. So is the U.S. and South Korea, I mean, are there other countries that are trying to do this? What are you seeing out there?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, Vietnam's starting to try uh, to do it with their their own um, uh, war dead uh, from the Vietnam War. But Mm -hmm. to the level and effort, and and, uh, I mean, nobody puts the the effort that the united states government puts into this mission Mm. um i mean uh south korea is a a close a close second um but um beyond that there's not a lot that have the same kind of level of effort and uh expenditure to do what we do
0: yeah yeah, that's pretty remarkable. So when you think about total active cases right now, how, how does your agency think about that? Because you have both POW and MIA. Do you bifurcate out the, the number of active cases based on that, or do you look at it in totality?
1: Yeah, so the POW piece of our mission is really a, a nod to the initial start of the mission. Um, uh, the POWs from, from Vietnam War, uh, yeah. most of what we're looking for now are, uh, I mean, there are POWs who died in, in uh, prisoner of war camps. Uh, okay. is an example, uh, which is a prisoner of war camp in World War II on the Philippines. So we have a large, uh, disinterment project to try to, uh, identify those folks, um, doing disinterments, um, out of the, uh, uh American Battle Monument Cemetery in the Philippines. Um. But just to give a scope of, of, a, of kind of our problem set, right, the mission is definitely global and generational in scope. Uh, there's over 81,000 missing service members, um, and we think we can account for about 37,600, uh, give or take, uh, of those service members. Um, the largest uh, number of missing comes from World War II. Hmm. Uh, the next, uh, which is about 72,000, the um, Korean War, there's about 7,000, and as I said, 5,000 of those, we believe, are in North Korea. Uh, the Vietnam War, were uh, uh, right around 1,500. Um, the Cold War, there's 126 uh, missing, um, and then there's six from Iraq, the first Iraq War. And I think one thing that uh, the numbers tell you is how much better the U.S. government got at real-time recovery... Yes. Um, in the, in the 20 years of conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, we have no, uh, missing service members. That's amazing. Right? And you look at the numbers from 72 to, you know, 126, um, the ability to do real time recovery, which is not our, our job. It's a different organization, yeah. uh, within the department of defense. So I think we've gotten much better at, um, you know, keeping that promise real time and going in and getting people out. Um, as, the, as the loss comes, it's uh, an organization called the Joint Personnel Recovery Command uh, that have uh, based out, and they are on strip alert to go uh, recover uh, separated uh, U.S. service members.
0: Amazing. That's amazing. Well, um, Matt, this is not a fair question. I want to ask you this one last and and it's not like uh, I don't want to say the favorite, like your favorite story because they're they're all amazing. but maybe maybe a better way to say it is a memorable, like a recent story that's really memorable for you for what you all are doing. Would you be willing to yeah. share?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, we'll see if uh, I, I can avoid getting emotional about this i I, I uh, normally uh, think about this, but we actually, I attended a funeral a couple months ago for uh, a commander Frederick Schrader, who was uh, he was the carrier air group commander on the USS Hornet uh, during World War II. He was shot down off of uh, Formosa, which is now Taiwan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, thought he was unrecoverable, and uh, we actually uh, disinterred uh, his mm-hmm. remains and were able to identify him, and his uh, daughter came to our facilities in Hawaii. he was, he was buried at the punch bowl when he was identified. Um, uh, I think it was uh, 22 last year we identified him. Um, but I was able to meet his daughter, uh, Barbara, 80 year old daughter, um, Mm. her husband, their kids and their grandkids. And, uh, she brought to the funeral, um, a teddy bear that her father gave her when she was a one year old, believe Chris Christmas present. He had two daughters and gave them each a teddy bear. Um, so she brought that teddy bear, the funeral, um, 79 year old teddy bear. She was clutching it in her, uh, arms. And then when they presented her with the flag, um, at the, at the funeral, she's holding the teddy bear in one arm and the, and the flag in another arm. And just Golly. to see that, um, yeah. you know, the answer, and then, and then kind of the completion of, you know, someone who gave their last full measure of devotion to their country, um, to have the the full military honors and to have the family receive that flag. Um, it's just a really touching thing. And man, that teddy bear was, uh, just kind of, it just kind of brought it all together. So I was, uh, I had had tears rolling down my face, uh, at that funeral, but that's just kind of an example. We're able to see that. Um, just so many amazing stories. We actually, uh, um, unfortunately her sister passed away about two weeks after the family Mm -hmm. was notified that uh, their father had been identified. Um, but it just shows like the generational nature of this mission. I just went to, we do, uh, we do updates to family members around the country. Uh, we call them family member updates and annual, annual government briefings. And there was a 20 year old, uh, a relative named Katie who, uh, got up and talked about, you know, she promised her grandfather that she would carry this mantle and continue searching. Um, so it just kind of shows that the generational uh, interest in this mission and, you know, this, you know, 20 year old, you know, and and she's like, you know, you guys, I want you to know that this generation does care. And that was really (laughs) moving to me that she, she did that. And, uh, um you know all the way to the 80 year old family members who are uh waiting and looking for answers um and another one i'll just share real quick uh we identified a corporal luther story he was a medal of honor recipient from the korean war mm. uh he was 19 years old he was buried in uh, andersonville georgia over memorial day mm. and uh you know he he was posthumously awarded the medal of honor um, but the president of Korea and President Biden actually uh, met his his niece uh, Judy Wade at the Korean War Memorial in D.C. and were mm-hmm. able to present her with some things. But uh, uh, just you know, he put himself between he was uh, wounded, put himself between uh, his unit and the uh, onslaught of uh, of enemy fighters, and uh, allowed them to to break out and uh, gave his life know, for his, for his fellow service members. So just a, you know, those types of stories, man. Uh, yeah. and, and I think one thing I, you know, always try to say is we don't look at these missing service members as cases, um, yeah. or case numbers. Uh, they're individuals, they're people with a story with a family yep. and the family has a story and being able to link up kind of that story and that legacy back together. Just, I mean, it's such a powerful, Uh, Thing to be a part of,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're right. There's like this mixture of tragedy because obviously it's somebody's uh, life that has been given, but there is that finality or that closure that they get. That that there's also it's really touching. Um, So I love the words you used earlier, Matt, when you talked about uh, two words are sticking out to me: uh, nobility, right, and the nobleness of this mission. Um, which I think that's a fantastic word and then that it's driven by compassion. that if you were going to ask me to guess before we hit record what word drives what it is that you all do. I don't know if that was the word that would have come to mind, but that's for sure the right word um, that it is. It's driven by compassion for these families and um, and keeping that promise. So, man, it's, it's amazing. And I'm glad that we were able to get you on the Better Man podcast just to share a little bit of the story. And this may be a weird question to ask, I'll do here at the end, but like how, how can yeah. the audience pray uh, for what you all are doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just the prayers that, uh, you know, to guide the, the men and women of the agency as we do our work to, um, you know, provide as many answers as we can. Like our mission is to account for the missing. Uh, you know, we know we're not going to be able to identify all of them. But, uh, we certainly, uh, want to identify as many as we can. So, uh, prayers on that, you know, if, if folks yeah. want to learn more about the mission, uh, you just go to www.defensePOW, uh, or you type in defense P-O-W-M-I accounting agency. I think it's dpa.mil. Okay. Um, yeah. I should, I should know this. Um, but there's also, <laughs> a, you're busy doing week. other stuff, right? <laughs> yeah there's actually a link at the, at the top, uh, for more information. And there's also a volunteer tab. Uh, okay. You know, if there's historians out there that, you know, have a, a set of expertise, there's an opportunity for that. Uh, we can link them up with the right places to go to help out. That's
0: great. Well, we'll put links to that in the show notes and everything. So people don't have to, uh, as they're driving around right now, they don't have to try to memorize <laughs> that or write that down, but, right. yeah. uh, that's awesome. Well, good. Well, Matt, uh, again, I appreciate your time. Uh, to come on uh, the Better Man podcast and share a bit of your story. This is this is great. And keep up the good work, friend.
1: Yeah, hey, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much.
0: You know, right as Matt and I finished up that conversation, he um he kind of had like a an epiphany and aha moment where he realized he forgot to talk about something that was really relevant at the time of this recording. So we recorded this here in the end of August of 2023, and obviously hawaii and maui is very much in the news based on the tragedy that just happened there recently matt is actually stationed in oahu that's where he was having uh that conversation we record this remotely and he was there in oahu and just again just the scope of that agency and what they're doing he said there's there's right now there's about 18 people over there in maui that are helping um you know 12 from the anthropology side and then uh, six others on um, mortuary side and just again just seeing that compassion and that commitment that that agency has just to collaborating with other people uh, and helping in these dire circumstances is uh, is amazing so we want to make sure we let y'all knew about that two words you know that that came to mind for me or two ideas came to mind for me as matt was talking about what he's doing and how this connects to our walk with jesus Number one, keep your word, right? That we just need to be men who, when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. I think the Department of Defense has uh, done an admirable job of that and set a great example for us and is uh, clearly something that the Lord wants us to do as well as to be men who keep our word, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And so that, uh, you know, again, I just was struck by that to just going, all right, Lord, I want my life to be marked by that commitment to doing what I say I'm going to do. And then that other word of compassion, you know, as he talked about that being one of the defining attributes and characteristics of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was driven by compassion and that compassion can manifest itself in so many different ways in our life. And so this is one way that they're living out that call to compassion to go and to help these families who have lost loved ones and uh in the military and so uh, again i just think that for us as men is a great reminder to be driven by commitment and by compassion if we do that that we're, we're going to start to stand out we're going to make a mark in this world uh, we're going to be all that god wants us to be uh, wherever it is that he has us and so matt again just grateful for your message grateful for what you're doing and that agency and the mission that you guys are on. And I wish you Godspeed. And and so thanks so much for jumping on the Better Man Podcast with us today. Uh, This episode, like every episode, was mixed and edited by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week.